Next from Mark's Gospel, starting at verse 30. And in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1019. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would be, take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Susan. Uh, so do keep your Bibles open and let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who nourishes us with your life-giving word. Take the words I speak, bless them, and let them feed those who are hungry for you. Amen. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're one of the disciples. You've just returned from your first mission trip without Jesus, he sent you with nothing, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, only the seal of his authority. And during that time, you saw people healed, you saw the de demon-possessed set free, you saw many lost souls respond to the good news of God's kingdom among us. And now you return to Jesus, and you're simultaneously elated and exhausted, Elated because you've seen God do incredible things through you. 
bit exhausted because you've been giving out and giving out and giving out all the time. So when Jesus says, let's get away for a retreat to recuperate and debrief, it's music to your ears. Only doesn't quite work out like that, does it? It seems that the crowds haven't got the memo. Great coachloads of people turn up at the retreat center, desperate to see Jesus. Peace and quiet? I don't think so. You're cream-crackered. You're ready to crawl into bed and hide under the covers. You haven't even had chance for a proper meal. But Jesus, Jesus has compassion on them. No! And you sign, I mean, that's what you're thinking. You wouldn't actually admit it in front of Jesus, but that's what you're thinking. And Jesus starts teaching them. And it looks like the retreat is well and truly off. Because the crowd are hanging on Jesus' every word. They don't want him to stop, and it's getting late in the day. Well, here's the thing about a retreat center. It's in the middle of nowhere. And it's in the middle of nowhere by design. It's a retreat center. So it's meant to be in the middle of nowhere. Well, the crowd are getting hungry, and you're beginning to get worried. There aren't any shops around. Surely it must be time to send them home. I mean, this wasn't exactly a scheduled teaching session. It just sort of happened. And then, when you quietly suggest to Jesus that he land the plane uh, and send the people home for dinner, don't worry, you're not the first to think the preacher goes on a a while. Jesus' disciples were all there as well. He turns to you and says, you give them something to eat. Well, you've been giving out and giving out and giving out on this mission trip. You want to rest. You feel like you've got no more to give. You haven't even had a chance to eat yourself. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And you look around. And there must be thousands of people here. I'm sorry, it can't be done. Well, this then is the context for the second of these questions of Jesus that we're exploring during these weeks of Lent. How many loaves do you have? It sounds like a very matter-of-fact kind of question, doesn't it? And in a way, I suppose it is. But I get to thinking. And the thing that I get to thinking is this. Jesus must have already known that they didn't have enough. I mean, he'd been in the boat with them. I'm pretty sure that he would have noticed if Thaddeus had 5,000 sandwiches stuffed in his backpack. And what's more, I'm intrigued by this specific question that Jesus asks. Because he doesn't ask, how many loaves do you think it would take to feed this lot? No, he asks, How many loaves do you have? It's as if he wants them to focus not on what they don't have, but on what they do have. Well, today uh, is our what newly termed uh, 
3T Sunday. And that means time, talents, and treasures. Uh, and that's thanks to Heather who came up with that. So you can blame Heather for that name. Or if, it's a, if you like it, then I'll take the credit. Either way. Um, but it's basically a chance for us to consider God's goodness to us and respond through the giving of our prayers, our presence, our time, our talents, and our treasures. Now, of course, I want to encourage all of us um, to think about how we might support the mission and ministry of the church. But beyond that, I really just want us to try and grapple with that question. How many loaves do you have? Because it's so easy to look at the need. I mean, a huge crowd of 5,000 people and feel completely and utterly overwhelmed. And indeed, there are lots of needs in the life of the church, and they're big and they're important. There are lots of needs in the world, and they're big and they're important. But first of all, Jesus invites us to take stock of what we've got. So the first question how many loaves do you have? And it's this question that kickstarts a miracle. The disciples were faced with a huge, hungry crowd. And naturally, they start sizing up how much they think that it would take to solve the problem of feeding them. Goodness, that would take half a year's wages. But Jesus' starting point is different, isn't it? Go and see how much you've got. In other words, count your blessings. There's something really significant, I think, in this. Our motivation isn't to be fear or guilt, and neither is it starting with the cavernous need before us. Rather, we begin by recognizing our giftedness. Generosity begins by recognizing that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God in the first place. And so those five loaves and bread and two fish were God's provision to them. They were ways in which God had been meeting their needs through other people, through the baker, through the fishermen, etc. Now, we, we live in a culture uh, that emphasizes individual achievements and rewards. We give ourselves the credit for all that we accomplish. But we fail often to recognize that our talents, our abilities, our education, and everything else that uh, put us in this situation ultimately came from God. We didn't choose where we, were bo where we were born. We didn't choose when we were born. We didn't choose to whom we were born. We've been shaped by experiences, by people like parents, by friends, by teachers, and so on. None of us are self-made people. It's all gift. And that means we continue to be dependent on God for everything, every day of our lives. And so gratitude is a key discipline for us as believers. And it is a discipline. It doesn't come naturally. It needs to be practiced and worked at over time again and again. So notice the first thing that Jesus does when the disciples give him what they've got. Verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Therefore, the first call on us is simply to take stock of all that God has given us. Your life, your health, 
your relationships, your education, your gifts and talents, your finances. All of these are God's everyday gifts to us. But as Christians, we also have much more than that to thank God for. We have the gift of His Son, the gift of His Spirit, the gift of salvation to thank God for. God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so first and foremost, I want to suggest that that question, how many loaves do you have, is an invitation to go and see how good God has been to you. And the disciples should have known that. Because they've just returned from a mission trip in which they took nothing with them and got everything provided. I love that stories like this are in the Bible because I know that I am also quick to forget God's generosity. He provides for me yesterday and today I'm panicked and I'm wondering what on earth is going on. Well, like the disciples, I too need to be constantly reminded to look at what I've got rather than what I've not got. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me, the psalmist asks. Generosity begins in God. It's a response to God's generosity to us. We give because God has first given to us. But the second thing I notice about Jesus' question is that he wants us to give out of what we have, not what we don't have. So Jesus doesn't expect his disciples to give more than they have. But he also doesn't expect them to give less than they have. They have five loaves and two fish, and they give Jesus five loaves and two fish. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that we should give all of our money to kingdom causes. That's not what I mean. But rather, I'm saying that I think Jesus wants us to consider all that we have, whether it's loaves and fish or car and cash, as belonging to him. Charles Finney once observed that we don't lose all our possessions when we come to Christ, but we do lose ownership of all our possessions when we come to Christ. And that's an important distinction. When we say that Jesus is our Lord, we say that he's Lord of our loaves too. And so the the 18th century English evangelist John Wesley once quipped that the last part of a man, and I think it goes for women as well, to be converted is his wallet. I think he's right. The Bible consistently encourages us to see ourselves as stewards rather than owners of the good things we have. We give because God has first given to us. And therefore, we, the gifts we receive from God may be in our care for a season, but they're never truly ours forever. We're caretakers. And so I wonder how we might act differently if we saw ourselves that way. If we saw our house, our car, our possessions as being God's. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be conduits of God's blessing, not cul-de-sacs of God's blessing. And so our stewardship is a measure of our discipleship. It's a way of saying that we trust the God whose name is Yahweh, Yireh, the Lord who provides. How much of we, we give of ourselves to God is a sign of how much we think God is worth to us 
how much we believe we've received from, from him. And as the story of the, the widow's offering uh, in Mark 12 demonstrates, it's not the pounds and pence value of our giving that counts. It's the heart that's behind it. In contrast to so many of the rich people who put in their money in the temple offering, she gave everything. She didn't have much, but she gave what she had. In today's story, Jesus didn't ask his disciples to give more than they had. But he did, didn't ask them to give less either. Some of you uh, perhaps might have seen the, the TV show called The Chosen. Has anyone here seen any of The Chosen? A smattering of hands? Okay, well, there's time to sort that out. So um, it's really, really good. It's a, it's a program about Jesus uh, and his disciples. And it's not a kind of cringy program. It's actually really good. Um, but Dallas Jenkins, the, the show's director, tells the story of how it all came about. He explained that he got the chance to make a Hollywood film called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. And he was really excited. He thought it was going to be his opportunity, the launching pad for his career. The show came out. Within two hours, it was clear this film had absolutely tanked. He says, uh, this is his own words, he says, I was home alone with my wife after the biggest disappointment of my career. The movie that I'd made, that had gotten Hollywood attention, distributed all over the country in theaters, completely bombed. I went in just a couple of hours from being a director with a bright future to being a director with no future. And then the Bible story that we've uh, just been reading started getting inside of him and changing him. So, again, he he goes on to explain what this story meant to him. He said, my wife felt like God was just laying it extremely powerfully on her heart, almost as clear as though it was an audible voice, to read the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We had this phrase in our heads, too, impossible math. So, we're trying to figure out all this and what this has to do with a box office failure. Then a random person that I've never met Facebook messaged me, and all he said was, remember, it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. And from then on, he realized that it wasn't his job to worry about the results, but simply to surrender everything, to give his loaves and fish, and trust God for the rest. And the same is true for us. Also, So as Dallas Jenkins and his wife spent time meditating on this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, another detail about this story stuck in their mind, and it's this. Jesus isn't surprised by the crowd's hunger. Why? Because it's his fault. He's the one who had been speaking to them all day. Jesus brings his disciples to a place where the only thing that can satisfy the crowd's hunger is a miracle. And when Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you give them something to eat, it's not because he thinks they've got a secret stash of food hidden away somewhere, but because he wants to get them also to that point of desperation where they realize that 
It's going to take him to do something that only he can do. So you see, the disciples, they haven't counted properly. They might have five loaves and two fish, but they aren't seeing the full story. What is it that they have that they haven't accounted for? Jesus, thank you. And by this point in the story, the 12 have already witnessed Jesus heal people. He's, they've witnessed him drive out demons. They've witnessed him calm a storm on a lake. And yet when they're presented with a hungry crowd, they throw up their hands and say, It's impossible! I don't know about you, but I see myself in the mirror there. Instead of looking at the problem, the crowd, what they need to do is look into the eyes of the miracle worker who's right there in front of them. The need is real. There's no denying that. But help is on hand. It's literally right in front of them. Uh, on one occasion, the Yorkshire-born missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, was facing uh, an especially trying period in their ministry. The financial support hadn't come through. They didn't know how, um, uh, how, how they were going to be able to provide for their needs as a family. But Taylor said this to his wife. I love this. He said, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. Isn't that wonderful? They have 25 cents in their earthly bank account. But there's no run on the bank of heaven. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, All things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So the disciples might only have heard five loaves of bread and two fish. But they also had the presence of God in the flesh. And so let's just take a, a couple of minutes to share perhaps what some of the, the, the hungry crowd might be for us here at Christchurch. First, as you would expect me to say uh, on a day like today, there is a financial hungry crowd. So our um, projected expenditure for 2024 is budgeted to be just shy of £120,000. Of that, the single biggest expense over half the, the budget is the parish share that we paid to the diocese. That's about £65,000. 10% uh, of our annual income uh, we, we give to support uh, God's work, uh, expanding the kingdom uh, beyond this church, so, uh, supporting people like Adam Young uh, in, in Japan, for instance. But then we have other costs as well. Some of, some of them are one-off costs. So, uh, you will have noticed, I'm sure, that the, the part of the stone wall back here that's fallen down um, needs repairing. Uh, there's also kind of one-off costs like re uh, replacing the, the heating system in the parish centre that's served faithfully for a couple of decades but now needs to be replaced. There are, uh, then there are things that we'd love to do to expand 
the reach of our mission and ministry, which we can't do without further investment. So we'd love to look at uh, growing our work among the next generation, perhaps by employing a, a children's youth families minister to lead, recruit, train, enthuse the team. Someone with not only time, but with experience who can disciple the kids that we have here, but also make, take advantage of the fantastic connections we have through uh, local schools, through game changers. We have wonderful opportunities. The, the harvest fields are white, ripe. But it's not just cash we need. We need people. We need people who are willing to give their time and experience in serving in a whole manner of ways. We're blessed with so many wonderful teams here at Christchurch who contribute to the life of the church in their own unique ways, from the office team to the finance team to the maintenance team to the music team. Uh, and if you've been here for uh, more than a, a, a few weeks, you'll have noticed that we aren't able at the moment to resource a band uh, every week. We'd love to. So if you've got any musical gifts hidden under a bushel, get them out. Yeah, but there are other ways as well. You know, uh, the, the, the annual meeting is coming up in April. Could you serve on PCC as a church warden? You know, there are lots of ways. And let me give another example. I know we've kind of mentioned it already, but our ch children's youth and family team is, is really stretched at the moment. Um, so at the moment, we're only able to run Discoverers, which is for our uh, year three to year six aged kids, twice a month instead of three times a month, um, as we'd like to. So if you have that passion, if you have those gifts, I just encourage you to consider, might that be somewhere that the Lord is calling you uh, to get involved? But beyond that, we'd, we'd love to start a youth group for our younger, uh, younger youth, our year seven to nines. We'd love to look at starting a creche for our preschool age kids, even just a couple of people at the back of the church to give the parents a, a chance uh, for a bit of a break during the service. Uh, Little Rascals has done fantastic work up until now, and it closed back in December. Are there people with vision and energy to take on uh, and look at doing something new in its place to reach both the children and their carers? Then the, this summer, we want to partner with Neil Walpole from Dewsbury Minster, who runs this uh, summer meal bus uh, to reach out to disadvantaged children. Uh, he came to speak to the PCC uh, a few weeks ago, and he's really keen to do something in our neck of the woods. They'll provide the bus, they'll provide the meals, if we'll provide the volunteers. Needs about three or four people a week uh, over the space of about four or five weeks over the summer to, to come alongside the kids, to do crafts with them, to just love on them. Uh, if that's not for you, then again in the, in the notice sheet you'll see that, yes, yeah, uh, Southdale are looking for a foundation governor. Uh, it's a fantastic opportunity not just to support the kids and their learning, but also to ensure that the, the Christian ethos permeates every aspect of the school's life. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So what I'm trying to say is that there's a huge crowd in front of us as well. Lots of things that we need to do, lots of things that we want to do, but it'll take all of us giving Jesus our lives and fish, our time, talents, and treasures, and then letting him do whatever he will. But over and above that, and I really do mean over and above that, what we crave the most is your prayer. 
Uh, at New Wine in 2022, um, we heard the CEO of IJM, uh, that's the International Justice Mission, David Westlake. Um, I was really both challenged and encouraged by something he said um, in his talk. He said that his number one priority that he shared with all the board members when he came in and started his new role, his number one priority was to raise more prayer than money. Because that, he said, is what's most important. God can sort the money. Can we sort the prayer? And so I really want to ask you, please pray for us. Pray for us at home. But also pray with us here. Join us, if you can, at Cornerstone at 9.30 on a Monday morning. Prayer is powerful. So please spare your prayers. Finally, I just want to draw things to a close by encouraging us just to think about the meaning of the leftovers. So let's just pause and do a bit quick maths lesson. Five loaves of bread plus two fish equals enough food for 5,000 people plus leftovers. Okay, that's kingdom maths right there. The disciples give out far more than they ever put in. Are we agreed on that? Are we also agreed that they get back far more than they ever put in? I wonder if it's ever occurred to you to ponder the meaning of the leftovers. Why would Jesus insist that his disciples go around and collect all those leftovers? Is it just to make the point that there's a really you know, a huge amount of food here? Well, I think that's part of it. But I suspect there's probably another more significant lesson that Jesus wanted to teach his apprentices. How many basketfuls did they give out? Or did they collect, sorry? Twelve. How many disciples were there? What do you think the message is? You can never outgive Jesus. The disciples put in five loaves of bread and two fish collectively, and they get back a basketful each. That's a pretty good return on investment, I would say. Now, this is Kingdom Economics 101. There'll be a test later on. But just to be crystal clear on this, because I know it might sound like it, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you give us a pound, God will give you 10 pounds. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when we take care of others in Jesus' name, Jesus will make sure that we're taken care of. What I'm saying is that It's just what Jesus himself will say later on in Mark's gospel. He says, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. The meaning of the leftovers is this. You can't outgive Jesus. 
the fact is that nothing we can give is ever going to be enough because Jesus has already given far more than we ever could. And so when we give to God, the only motivation is gratitude. And that's a truth that's powerfully captured in two songs, one old, one new. So first, Isaac Watts' famous, much-loved hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You know these words. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And secondly, Matt Redmond's song, I will offer up my life. Jesus, what can I give? What can I bring to so faithful a friend, to so loving a king? How many loaves do you have? And the question that's behind that question is this. Will you bring your loaves and fish to Jesus today? So we're going to uh, respond to God's word in song. Uh, we're going to sing both of, those, both of those songs together. And I just encourage us, as we do, just to hold that question before us. How many loaves do you have? And will you bring your loaves and fish to Jesus. So let's stand and let's worship God.